Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 49. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce my friend and special guest, Henry Reisner. Henry, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? All ready to go, Mark. All right. It is great to have you here. Henry Reisner is the president of Intermechanica Custom Coach Builders in Vancouver, British Columbia. Intermechanica was started in 1959 by Henry's father, Frank, when he moved to Turin, Italy with his wife, Paula. They produce parts for cars and design and built a Formula Junior race car. The Pook, am I saying that right, Henry? Yep, that's, that's a Pook. Pook, right? okay. Yep. The Apollo and the Italia automobiles, among many other unique and innovative projects. When the family moved to California in 1975, they began making replica Porsche Speedsters, and that tradition has continued to this day with the Intermechanica producing Speedsters, Roadsters, Kubelwagens for customers from around the world. Quality and a focus on providing their customers with exactly what they want. Henry and his team bring back the magic of these classic cars and add reliability and fun to the mix. You can learn more about the Reisner family and their rich history in a great book titled The Story of the Prancing Bull. So Henry, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you and your history. Could you take some time and share some more about Intermechanica your business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, thanks, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, absolutely. Um, I really got started in this uh, business with my father about the age of 12. And uh, that's about the time that the, the Italian portion of Intermechanica was being wrapped up. Uh, my dad was planning and executing the move to California. Through those years, which were really my high school years and we were living in California, I became uh, kind of involved in the business on a part-time basis and then eventually on a full-time basis before we left California. And that's really what cemented my, uh, you know, I guess my love for cars and specifically for the products that we that we manufacture. When we came to Canada in 1981, this became a full-time job for me. So it took many years to finish university through that process. I always laugh and tell people that I've never really had a real job. And I guess that's kind of the best part of this whole uh, Oh, absolutely. And knowing your business as I do, and I've had the pleasure of going on some really fun tours that Henry puts on with his customers and their cars up in Canada, the car that you build, how would you describe that compared to an original old Porsche Speedster or Roadster? Well, our, uh, I appreciate that opportunity. Uh, uh, our uh, goal is to really try to capture the aesthetic materials and the workmanship of a really nicely restored original. So if you can imagine that from a 
from a visual and, and tactile standpoint, but then try to pack into that vehicle a higher degree of usability, uh, perhaps uh, greater creature comforts. Of course, also the opportunity to custom build the vehicle for yourself and to have something that's uh, you know somewhat more modern. And really the profile of our clients are people who are looking for a vintage car experience, but don't necessarily want to end up with a owning and driving a 50-year-old car. So that's really what we're what we're looking for. And you put all sorts of different power plants into your car. I've driven some of your cars with, I had the pleasure of driving one of your customers' cars with a 2.7 liter 911 engine in it. You put water-cooled engines in your cars. Can you tell us a little bit about the different power plants that you provide? Absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the, on the air-cooled side, uh, the traditional Volkswagen-based four-cylinder opposed engine is still uh, one of the main engines that we use, and these are available uh, ranging from about 1,800 cc's to 2,300 cc's. Uh, these are all new units. We, as you mentioned, we few vehicles each year with uh, Porsche 911 uh, power plants, and these are not only engines and transmissions, but also all the rest of the suspension. And honestly, in my mind, I think that the 911-powered Inner Mechanica is the ultimate synthesis of the best of the Porsche uh, 356 aesthetic, which I think is the Speedster or convertible B Roadster, with the best of the air-cooled, which is the 911 six-cylinder power plants. I think that's, to this day, still probably one of my favorites. We have been moving more into more modern engines, uh, utilizing uh, initially VW Golf and Audi inline four-cylinder liquid-cooled engines, both uh, normally aspirated and turbocharged. The, the engines that today seem to be the most popular uh, on the modern side for my clients are the Subaru four-cylinder opposed, obviously uh, similar architecture to Porsche, kind of the natural evolution of that four-cylinder boxer engine and really a nice motor uh, for daily driver use and, you know, not bad at 165 horsepower for a two and a half liter in, you know, basically about a 2,100 pound car. Sure. And... The other thing you do, well, there's many things you do to improve the cars. One of them, though, are improvements on the brakes, right? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it, uh, the, the other driving force or design uh, aspect of these products is I really, I really, really want to build a balanced automobile. So obviously a car that has uh, little performance doesn't require a great deal of brakes. But as, as things like uh, performance improve and increase, you need to bring the suspension and, uh, and breaking all into into line with that, and you know we, tr- we pride ourselves here on building a balanced automobile. So if you move into something with uh, a 911 running gear or something with a Subaru running gear, then you're going to be moving into four-wheel disc brakes, or power assist, uh, proper uh, Porsche-based suspension with back and pinion steering. So absolutely, balance is the key. That way, everybody has fun. Oh sure, and I had the pleasure of driving back to back a 1956 Porsche Speedster, which one of my iconic favorite cars of all time that I've always wanted to own. But as we all know, the price of those cars has gone through the roof. And then I got to jump into one of Henry's cars. And I have to say, incredible difference, but the same. And what Henry's trying to achieve, I think he's done exactly. You feel like you're in a Speedster, but the balance is better, the power is better, the braking's better. It does everything better. And if you really want to drive the car and enjoy it, um, that's the way to go because the old car is an old car. And, of course, it is original, and 
Some people kind of poke fun at having what they would call kit cars, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't call Intermechanica a kit car because these are hand-built cars, right? You build custom cars for customers who want, I mean, they can specify everything, correct? That is correct. Everything that we build is custom built for a client. We do not build anything for inventory. So you're right. It really is. And I think that part of the problem is that in North America, we don't really have a, a history for uh, custom built automobiles like they would have, say, in the UK, where, uh, you know, doing something in limited quantities is, uh, is something that is, is a known industry. So here you're either a major manufacturer or you're a kit car manufacturer that doesn't seem to be any middle ground. But I think that that's changing as uh, industry is growing. And I think that the marketplace has a spot now, as you said, not everybody uh, wants to drive a $150,000 original car, you know, the way it was meant to. I think if you're a pure collector, that's the right car for you. But if you are somebody who wants to go out and enjoy touring, really use the vehicle the way it was originally intended, then I think that our product gives you the option to do that. Oh, sure. And we had uh, Roger Allard of Allard Sports Cars on the, the show about a week ago, and he does something very similar to what you're doing, where he takes that old, iconic classic. Now, that car is from the 30s and 40s, a lot uh-huh. rougher the way those cars were built than the Porsche, of course, but it's a very similar experience. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about how the car is built from the frame, uh, what kind of frame do you build for the car, and then what the body's made out of, and then how those two are, are married together, to use an industry term. Sure, absolutely. Uh, all of our products uh, currently and dating back to the early 90s are all built on our own custom-designed box section tube steel frame, and this actually is an evolution from the chassis that my father used to design in, in Italy, always using box section tube steel. The frames are uh, built here in-house, designed and built here in-house. They vary a little bit, obviously, depending on the kind of running gear that is going to be applied, but they're all jig-welded, you know, properly protected from the elements. So the goal is to give you a 50-year cycle life. Uh, The bodies are all one-piece composite bodies manufactured here in, uh, in the Vancouver area. And then in our facility, we assemble bodies and chassis together through a process of chemical bonding and mechanical fastening. And these products then are uh, bonafide unit construction vehicles, not like your typical stamp steel unit construction, but unit construction nonetheless. So you will never be separating body from frame from a service standpoint. It's not like a Lotus or something like that. Uh, so you have a very, very rigid product that can be used for many years. You know, the, the goal here is that uh, if we provide you a quality body and chassis, uh, serviceability on the mechanical bits and pieces are easy. As long as the body and frame are together, you retain the value and the, and the initial investment in your, in your vehicle. Sure. And what's kind of cool about your cars is if you want some of the modern day amenities almost hidden in the car, I've seen some of your cars with power windows, but it looks like the window crank is still there, but you just move the crank down or up and the window goes up and down. Air conditioning, heating, you can hide stereo systems and plug in your uh, iPod player so it doesn't look like there's any new stereo in there that could wreck the original look of the car. So there's all sorts of special features that you'll add to the car, right? Absolutely. And you know what? That's really what makes it the most fun. You know, We, we get to work with clients on an individual basis and everybody in my kind of experience has, you know, anybody who comes to me who's interested in, in a speedster or a convertible D 
in their mind's eye, they have a, a, an idea of what their, you know, kind of ultimate 356, open 356 looks like. And my job is to try to, you know, kind of extract that from their psyche and, and build that into a, into a quote and then into a build sheet. And a lot of these uh, little amenities really make a difference. I think that one of the parts of this product that is most enjoyed by my clients, who for the most part are uh, men, is that, you know, it, it can be a comfortable and fun enough car for them to enjoy with their spouses, with their kids, so that it, it becomes a, a, a real family product and something that everybody can get behind. And for sure, things like air conditioning, power windows, power locks, heated seats. We've even done things with power seats so that a, a tall husband and a, and a not, not so tall wife can, can share the vehicle. And that, and, and that's really what makes it fun for us. Every client brings his own challenge, uh, and uh, we try to, you know, do our best to, uh, you know, to meet those requirements. Well, I'll tell you a short story. You dropped a car off uh, with me one time that a customer was going to pick up here in the Pacific Northwest, and we had a uh, another gentleman come in who had a real speedster, and he had driven it up from Sacramento to where I was so we could take some pictures of the car, and his wife, after the first day, said, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and she said, this is so uncomfortable. Well, when, when we he got up here, I let him drive your car. And she went with him. And they came back and she said, oh, my gosh, the seats were warm. It had air conditioning. It had a top. Uh, it was smooth. It was quiet. Now, that I could go touring in. And he kind of <laughs> looked at me and said, well, that kind of blows my whole fantasy of us driving all the way back. And she ended up flying home. She didn't want to drive back to Sacramento with him. But I think she would have in his car, and I agree with that because I did a tour with you and I brought my wife, and she said the same thing. She was amazed at how comfortable it was versus old cars that I've had. So I think you've hit the mark there. And you also will do hardtops, right? Absolutely. For the convertible D especially, uh, the hardtop is available, and it really makes a unique, I mean, not, not just more weather protection, but it really gives you two different cars. Uh, we've tried the hardtop on the Speedster product, that's a little bit more of a challenge because of our of our glass side windows. The profiles don't really work well with the really good-looking S-bar uh, hardtop. But who knows? Maybe that's in the works for the future. But uh, the hardtop is adds another three or four months a year of enjoyment. And depending on where you are, it could become you could make it a, a year-round vehicle for you. Well, before we jump into some of my questions, the other vehicle you're making is really interesting and cool: the Kubelwagen, the old German. Kind of a thing-looking, kind of EW thing-looking, but different. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So this is, a, as you said, this is the grandparent of the VW thing. This is a product, and what really makes it unique is that it was a, a Dr. Porsche-designed product uh, when the German government was looking for uh, true transport, uh, like every other government. They, they put the bid out to tender, and everybody submitted their kind of design parameters or the, their, their design goals. Uh, Porsche did an incredible job of, of, of designing a, a really, really unique uh, product. We uh, were requested by our Japanese distributor in about 1996 to see if we could build this for them. And after a few years of resisting, uh, we uh, got involved in the project and really have been happy to do that. It hasn't been a, a large number vehicle, but we've probably built around 65 or something like that. And the majority have gone to the Japanese market, but we have now sold them all over the world, and it's not the product for everybody, but it is an amazingly fun, uh, very, very dynamically stable, you know, due to the low center of gravity, 
uses the same kind of architecture as our Porsches with the, the tubular steel frame and a, and a composite body. It's a really fun car for the right environment and for the right kind of client. Uh, there really is nothing on the market like it. And if you want to find a vehicle that stands out even more than an Intermechanica Speedster or Roadster, well, then the Cool Wagon is, is the vehicle for you. Oh, yes. I was at a Porsche event this past weekend and ran into one of your customers who had just bought one. He has a house up in the San Juan Islands, a cabin, and wanted something fun for up there. And he was so excited to have that vehicle. So we'll talk more about your website later. But, if folk, of course, our listeners can go to your website and check those things out because they are pretty, pretty darn cool. So, Henry, what I'd like to do now is continue on your journey and start with a success quote. Uh, some kind of a mantra or saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. This is a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Henry, take the wheel. In thinking about this question that you posed to me, I think that the one uh, quote uh, concept that I think is, is definitely driven the bus at Inner Mechanica for at least the last quarter century is uh, to listen to your client. And I guess a subset of that is... To, to try really hard not to say no when a client contacts you about some unique idea. Um, I don't think that the product that you see that we offer today would be what it is today if it hadn't been for, for clients bringing different and unique ideas, requests. I think it really is what keeps the product fresh in the market. I mean, as you pointed out, uh, you know, we have been building a version of uh, this product since 1976. That's a long time. And yet today, the product is significantly different than it was in 1976. And I think it's really due to the unique clients that come to me and the fact that, uh, you know, we really do our best to try to incorporate their desires and their dreams in product that we build. Well, that's great. And you answered my next question of how you've incorporated that into your business. And it's such a key thing for anybody in business is to really listen to their customer and then they know exactly what they want and they can provide it. And I think by the custom levels that you produce vehicles with all the different things you offer people, and you're probably coming up with new things all the time, you've done exactly that. So that's spectacular. This next question is going to be probably a little bit easy since you grew up in a car family, but was there a pivotal moment that really instigated your passion for cars? That moment in your life when you really knew that you were a car guy? That goes back probably to uh, just about the period of time when we were living, leaving Italy. I was 12 years old at that point. Really was my first opportunity to work hand in hand with my dad, work as a relative term when you're 12 years old. But I did help him for a few months as uh, the intermechanic business in Italy was wrapping up and all the tooling and, and uh, bits and pieces were being packed up for uh, transport to North America. And uh, it really uh, was the first time that I kind of awakened to what was being done at Intermechanica and, and the unique business that this was. And uh, over the, the years that followed, uh, you know, through school and helping on the weekends and all that stuff, I, I think it, it sort of, I, I gained an appreciation for, for what, the, what this industry is about. And, and, you know, I really enjoy building stuff. And I think it's really a, a unique business where, you know, at the end of the day, you can get into something that you've built, uh, whether you've just finished it or it's a car that you that you've owned that you built ten years ago, and uh, and drive it home. It's a, it's something that has many challenges, but it also is extremely rewarding. And I, you know, people constantly tell me how lucky I am, which is sometimes hard to believe. But uh, 
but uh, that, that, I think that's you know it really started when I was at that age and and and, and sort of woke up to what you know what was around me. I think that's 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 way I could answer that question. Sure, and we could probably do a whole show talking about the history and and the growth of Intermechanica back when your father was was innovative in building these Apollo and Italia cars and. Maybe I can convince your mom to come on the show and she can talk about those early years because it really is an amazing story and all the ups and downs and the challenges, especially when the government regulations come in and change things and shut things down and you have to pivot and turn and in your your family's business and your business has gone through many of those. But uh, must you know a lot of us sitting here probably are going, gosh, how fun it would be to be a 12-year-old kid and your dad builds cars. That would be the ultimate. But I hear that over and over from people. Spending time in the garage with their father, those are the moments that really built into them. So that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. So, Henry, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and really get under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your business that really pushed you to the breaking point? And more importantly, how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it? In thinking about this question, a couple of uh, major uh, business changes uh, came to mind that I think were were probably the biggest things that I've had to face. For many years in in the in the 90s, our whole business was really an export-based business, with Japan being our our, our single largest exporter or our customer, and we had a, a, a you know a one a one person importer who was extremely effective. And the market was just perfectly primed there for, for our product. And, uh, you know, we, we were at that time doing probably twice the volume of cars per year that we are doing now. A much simpler car, but all the same, quite a growing concern. Uh, that, uh, you know, when the Japanese economy fell apart, that business just literally over a period of six months just disappeared. And uh, that was a, that was really a challenging time for us because uh, we had always done been in the U.S. market uh, in a in a smaller way. We really had to refocus our energies, and and uh, you know, luckily uh, there is a huge enthusiastic market in the U.S., and we were able to tap into that and sort of uh, rejig the business to a sort of a higher specification product uh, with maybe slightly lower volumes. It kept our overall annual uh, dollar volumes about the same, and uh, that was a a major change. Uh, that that change was followed not shortly thereafter uh, by a large change in the value of the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar, which is something that not everybody is very, if you're a Canadian manufacturer, keenly aware of this fact. If you're not a Canadian manufacturer, not many people know about this, but in our late 90s, early 2000s, um, our Canadian dollar was at about 85 cents, 84 cents. And that uh, traveled to parity and even beyond parity in the last few years, making a huge difference, uh, as you can imagine, in our business, uh, our overhead and labor and everything else is all in Canadian dollars. So it really, really messed up the, the kind of the balance of, of, you know, how to make a living doing what we do. So those are a couple of big challenges. And I think what it's, what it's taught us is to, that you need to remain flexible. Uh, you need to, I think, the first one really taught us that you need to react more quickly because so we reacted slowly on the first one, and uh, it, it you know there was a lot of uh, business pain as a result. But uh, these are these are uh, challenges, and you know, and frankly, 
smaller versions of these come up every few months. And, you know, again, if you wanted to talk at nauseum about this, I'd be happy to bore <laughs> you to tears. But uh, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's like any, but you know what? I think this is the truth in any business. And, uh, you know, I think my dad was a really strong on the product end of it. He wasn't nearly as strong on the business end of it. So it's, uh, I think that's the part of this, of the inner mechanic, a picture that's still a little bit, it's still a bit more of a dream than it is a, a reality, but uh, you know, it's been 50 years of this dream, so I guess it's, I guess something's working. I think so, but you're exactly right. There are so many external forces that affect business, the economy, of course, especially what we've all been going through for the last four or five years. But when currency fluctuations change, and I saw that in my business back when Japan imploded, we had all this business going to Japan, and literally, as you said, in about six months, it ended. Lots of times we kind of think it's going to get better and put our head in the sand maybe and <laughs> don't pivot as fast. And nowadays uh, pivot is the key word. You've got to be watching all the time and be ready to move very quickly because if you don't, it can put you out of business. So those are definitely were huge challenges you went through and, and kudos to you guys for sticking with it and still being around. Let's shift gears here and go to the whole other end of the spectrum and Wondered if you could share a story when you had a real aha moment about your business, your career at Intermechanica, a time when you realized, you know what, I think this is going to work and I'm happy with the way things are going. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, I think it was probably uh, shortly after my first uh, child was born, Ivy, my eldest, who is now 16. It was This is a period of time after the implosion of the Japanese market and just as we were starting to uh, push into the U.S. market and, and starting to see some uh, some results. Yeah, I think this is really when when that light came on that the, we, we needed to make a shift from sort of the model that we were we were working with with the Japanese clients, which was you know build the same basic product, obviously colors and everything else, but don't don't deviate too much from the the standard package and you know get the price down and get the quality as good as we can and get them out to a completely different uh, parameter, which is, you know, really listen to your client, try to incorporate as much as you can. And most importantly, when they come up with something different, something unique, you know, don't, don't go for the, for the, uh, the easy answer, which is sorry, we can't do this. And, uh, you know, that's, that was really the, the time. Uh, and, and, uh, I think this new way of thinking, new way of approaching the business, I think is, is what's, what's kept it alive. And, and like I said, I, I'm convinced that, that it is the reason why we are still here today because the clients push the product to new directions where there is a market today. And I think that the product that we were building 25 years ago wouldn't have the market that we, that, uh, that, uh, that we need today. So I think that that would be the, you know, and it all, all happened at, at, that, at that point uh, shortly after Ivy was born. Sure. And that's such an important lesson for all entrepreneurs to understand is, and I said it before earlier, listen to your customers. Sounds pretty basic, but listen to what they want and do it. <laughs> it's sometimes that <laughs> simple. I know it sounds hard at the time, but just do it. And it will push you in areas and cause you to stretch and maybe hurt a little bit. At the end, you usually come out stronger and better and more robust for it. So that's great. Let's have a little fun here, Henry. Would you share with us what your first real special car was and maybe share a memory or two you had with that vehicle? Oh, I think I was thinking about this and, you know, I've had a few, but uh, I think if you think about a special car, probably 
my second year of university or something like that. I can't really remember. We always uh, frequented the local vintage races here in Vancouver when we used to have a really nice racetrack up in the mountains called Westwood. It was quite unique in that uh, you, you, as you approach the track, you were up above the pit lane and you could look down into the pit lane. And, and Mark, I, I still remember days when there were honestly three or four 550 spiders and perhaps a couple of Abarths uh, racing there, which is mind-blowing oh, today. Oh, wow, yeah. Abarth Carreras. So, uh, but in this particular uh, uh, race, we went to, there were a couple of Lancia Fulvias that uh, uh, were racing. And, and for some reason, and I don't know why, it's just that, that wild kind of pagoda shape, that big greenhouse, that dihedral side. There was something really, really funky about that car that just just really captivated me uh, and you know i'm a i'm kind of a dogged guy so i was really bugging my dad about this we always received always you know, took the the sunday new york times and uh, following this this race a few weeks later my dad's coming through the, the sunday new york times and sure enough there's a fulvia a 1300 coupe for sale in on long island and uh, you know my dad had a couple of friends from Italia days who were out in Long Island. So uh, he called uh, Charlie and had Charlie go out and take a look at this thing. And it had been sitting already by then forever. And he says, well, didn't look too bad, didn't look too good. And yeah, long story short, uh, after paying for it and Charlie picked it up and brought it back to his shop, we sent him four new tires to put on it. Charlie replaced a couple of radiator hoses. My, my nutty father and I climbed into a plane and flew out to New York, spent a couple of days there, you know, checking out the sites, and then went out to Long Island, picked this thing up. No kidding. We drove this thing, you know, 1,300cc Lanchafolia from New York, middle of summer, all the way across to Vancouver. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I am not kidding you, uh, Mark, if we did not have, oh, I don't know, 20 flat tires, uh, <laughs> this, this car had two type wheels uh-huh. and and the, the wheels were rusty on the inside which meant as you drove the, the t- uh, wheels were chewing their way through the t- tubes and the tires sure. oh my god oh gosh it was, it, but you know it, it's one of those things that like if i think about it today you know who was nuttier you know me or my father it's, it's hard it's hard to know but uh, <laughs> it was, you know we spent the entire time it was so hot that you have to drive with the windows open but if you open the windows the headliner would get sucked down from the vacuum inside, so you had to drive with one hand on the headliner and one hand on the steering wheel. It was, a, uh, it was an entertaining holiday. You know, it's a, you know, running out of gas, you know, everything that you need to do on a good road trip. Oh, it sounds, actually, it sounds marvelous. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, at the time you were probably thinking we're crazy, but uh, that truly. Well, no, there was no, no thinking requirement. Oh, there was, yeah. was, was, you know, you're, 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 you're 10 minutes from leaving and you've had your first flat tire. It's like, how are we ever going to get home? Man? Oh, absolutely. When my son was eight years old, I bought a Beck Spider down in Long Beach, California, and we flew down, got in that vehicle. We were leaving. Uh, John Wilhoyt built the car, and I said, well, we got our cell phones and some supplies and you know, some water, and there was no top on that car, no heater. And I said, what else do we need? And he looks at us and said, a good attitude. <laughs> he, <laughs> said, go. he said, I don't know why you're doing this. This seems crazy. But uh, those five days were very special for both of us. And and my son still talks about that today. So uh, wonderful memory. And you're still talking about that journey with your father. So yep. what a great time. A little bit about Seller's Remorse. Is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you just really wish you could have it back? Oh, that was easy, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after uh, uh, 
we stopped having uh, time to go on trips and everything else with my wife and settle down and have a family, I came into a great opportunity to buy from a family friend an E28 M5, which is totally hilarious because it was literally at the time when we stopped being able to use it. So I owned it for a couple of years. Eventually, I thought, you know, this is just crazy, and I, and I sold that. And of course, now I'm kicking myself around the block because I didn't, you know, didn't get any money for that car, and I'd love to have that car back now. But we all know how that goes. So yeah, yeah, I always say when I ask that question, and you can't look back. You just have to think of the memories and move forward because at the yep. time, letting it go was the right thing to do. Here's a funny question. If you were a car, Henry, what kind of car would you be and why? Oh, I don't know, man. That's that's a tough one. I, uh, if I was a car, I, you know, I think probably unexciting. I would, would I be a, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a steady guy. So I'm, uh-huh. I don't know, probably, uh, you know, I don't know, something solid, you know, four-door sedan. I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm... I'm not. I'm not really sure how to answer your question on that one, Mark. I I, do, I, do, I have a hard time picturing myself as a car. So. <laughs> well, it's an interesting question. And I'll tell you your answer. Even though you didn't select the car, is probably one of the most honest I've heard. I I uh, interviewed Thor Thorson of VRM Motors, and he had a similar one. He said, "You know, I'm around these exotic cars. I mean, he's working on vintage Ferraris and race cars and all these things." And he said, "But I'm just kind of your basic guy. So I think I'd be a Volvo, four door Volvo." <laughs> So it sounds like you answered the question pretty similar to Thor did. That's great. So, Henry, this is one of my favorite parts of our talk. I call it the last lap. And this Mm -hmm. is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. Are you ready? Sure, let's go. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Nothing that you can't fix with a credit card and a cell phone. Very similar to your uh, spider story. (laughs) Okay, that's great. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Uh, I think determination and commitment. Absolutely. Do you have a resource that you share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe a website that you visit or a forum? Well, I I have to say what I really enjoy uh, every time I, I... Come across something from Petrolicious. I think that they do an incredible job of, uh, of uh, you know, just capturing that, that, that the feeling of, of these automobiles. And I also enjoy uh, Keith Martin's uh, Sports Car Market Letter. You know, that's a that whether it's in print or on the digital copy, it's always something that I that I look at. Oh yeah, those are two great great resources. I love those. Henry, would you share a book with our listeners that you've recently read that you really enjoyed? Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've had anything new, but, you know, the ones that are on my bookshelf that I always enjoy is kind of an odd one. There's a, a 40 Years of Design uh, with Fiat from Dante Giacosa. That was one that my dad bought me that I always enjoyed about the troubles of post-war industrial design and, and, and you know, building cars out of, uh, out of nothing. And then, you know, I, 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 re- I read a lot of uh, magazines, and I think that uh, uh, I was thinking about articles that I really enjoyed, and this is an old one again, Dennis Jenkinson uh, article about the Mille Media with uh, Sterling Moss. I think that's one of those that's, uh, you know, it's, it's really you know, a story about when cars were cars and men were men. So. Oh, yeah. Amazing story. Amazing race. And several yeah. of my guests have referenced that as well. That's great. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of cars and your passion for cars? 
Uh, I like uh, I like design and you know architecture that kind of thing. I don't really have the the money to indulge too much in that, but I do enjoy that very much. So I think that if you know my my go to uh, entertainment is you know like Dwell magazine things like that. I like I I, I like design and, and you know, I'm, I'm always happy to travel to uh, places where there's design museums and look at uh, you know design whether it's modern design or, or uh, historical architecture. Sure. If you like architecture, there's a great website. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. House H O U Z Z. Oh really? No. Yeah, check it out. It's an architectural interior, exterior, all sorts of things. It's a great website. You can sign up and get a an email from them every week and it's just all this eye candy if you love homes and cool. design and things. Yeah, H O U Z Z. It's great. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll remind our listeners that you can find all the resources that Henry has shared with us at carsyeah.com slash Henry Reisner. Just put Henry's name in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. All right, Henry, we're up to the checkered flag. You know what that means? We're at the end of our discussion. This last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage something you couldn't sell to buy other cars with, and money's no object. You can pick whatever you want. What would it be and why? Well, you know, that's, that's a good question, but I think the answer for me was pretty easy. I think uh, Lancia Stratos is probably the, the, the car that, I would, that I'd go for. I think it's the most unique-looking car. It's sort of from the time when I was a kid when, you know, when something that really captivated my my mind when I when I saw it, I think it's the right size car. I think mid-engine, you know, short wheelbase, lots of performance, real driver's type car. I think it's something that I could get into and, and, and enjoy. And you know, a more realistic version of that would be like a Lotus, right? But uh, but I think if you're asking for something that's you know crazy, I think a Stratos is the, would be the car. Lancia Stratos, that is a beautiful car. What a wonderful car. And the rally racing those vehicles did back in the day were just absolutely incredible. Great choice. Henry, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I really want to say thank you for taking the time to share your journey and a bit of your history with our listeners. Before you drive off into the sunset in that Stratos, would you please give our listeners one parting piece of guidance? And then let them know what's the best way for them to learn more about Intermechanica, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, as far as the guidance is concerned, I guess uh, really I think that the, if if you are looking to do something crazy like this business, I think uh, you just need to get in and plan to spend the, the hours making it happen. I think it's really important to have a strong team around you, and that includes. Uh, you know, the people that are working with you, uh, it also includes, and that's absolutely critical, the people that are living with you, because I think without my family, you know, be, my, be it my parents or my wife, I don't think that I could do this business. If, if it's something that you want to do, I, there's incredible opportunities out there, and I think a matter of just getting down to, to doing it and not, not waiting. I don't think that, you know, waiting is going to, it's going to make it happen any faster. Right, just start. And what's the best way that listeners can learn more about Intermechanica and you? Uh, well, we have uh, a website at www.intermechanica.com. That's, a, that's a, you know, uh, probably our primary resource. Uh, there's, um, if you like to look at photos, our Flickr page, if you search for Intermechanica, you'll find uh, about 5,000 images there of uh, various cars in, in process. And uh, beyond that, uh, you know, I would welcome absolutely anybody who travels to the Pacific Northwest, uh, to the Vancouver area, if you're interested. 
We love to have visitors. Uh, you know, we don't have a very big facility, but there's always lots of process, products in process. And we do, uh, you know, the majority of the work that we discussed here on, on this program, Mark, as you know, we do in this facility. So if you're interested in seeing, you know, what a small car factory looks like, uh, you're, you're absolutely welcome. And always is my pleasure, my pleasure to, to show people around. Well, and if you get a chance to visit Intermechanica, uh, it'll be a real treat because it is really cool to see how they build cars and all the different projects that they have going on. So again, I'll remind our listeners, just go to carsyeah.com slash Henry Reisner, and you can find links to everything that Henry's shared with us today right there on his show notes page. Henry, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and with your expertise and sharing your journey and your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Hey, thanks, Mark. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Take care, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!